So, welcome to episode three of Forensic Fix, a podcast brought to you from MSAB, where we invite guests from the industry to discuss the latest news in digital forensics and incident response, current issues, and a general chat about all things digital forensics. So, I'm your host, Adam Furman, tech evangelist here with MSAB, and I'm delighted to say that today's guest is DS Scott Ballantyne from the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation. So let me start with telling you a little bit about our guest. Scott has got a demonstrated history of working within law enforcement, who started his career in the police, sorry about this, Scott, back in December 1998, where he has served in many different roles and has worked in child protection since 2005. He's now a DS and senior investigator at Task Force Argos. So a brief summary of Argos there, this is Queensland Police's Task Force that combats child exploitation. And this is just how dedicated Scott is to this course. As we're recording it now, it's 8 p.m. in the UK and it's 6 a.m. for him. So I'm grateful for you doing this first thing. So I've given our listeners a small insight into your impressive career. Can you give us some more detail about your past, your career path and how you got to your current role, Scott? Yeah, certainly, Adam. Firstly, uh, thank you for the opportunity to participate in the podcast. Um, yeah, so it was a very, uh, very um, complimentary uh, introduction as well. But uh, yeah, no, I joined the police uh, in 1998, as you articulated, and um, my initial uh, sort of migration from just general duties policing um, took place back in 2005, where I uh, joined the uh, Child Abuse Investigations Unit, and it was there at the Child Abuse Investigations Unit that um, led to uh, my introduction to the uh, technology side of uh, the exploitation of children. And uh, then in 2009, I had the opportunity to join, uh, which was known back then as Task Force Argos. And uh, I've been there ever since uh, now. So that's, uh, what's that coming up to? Too long, I would suggest, but 14 years in total. And um, yeah, and it's it's been a, an interesting career path, and um, and it's 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 always got its twists and turns. In particular, with uh, the uh, the obstacles that we face with the evolution of technology. And that's a long time to be in, be in this industry. So I'm sure you've. We'd like to say we've seen it all, but you never have in this in this world. Um, what does a normal day usually look like for yourself? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh, you just just don't know what you're going to walk into. So you'll walk into the office and and anything could transpire. But um, originally, it'll start with obviously the the caffeine hit to to get the start to the shift. But um, but then it's straight into um, some of the the um, UC investigations, uh, in particular with a focus around uh, the. The, the terminology of darknet, which uh, is probably a term I don't like to use because it all, oh, almost glorifies that whole concept of uh, obfuscation technology. But um, but yeah, and then it, it uh, takes its um, sort of myriad of paths. Um, but ultimately, uh, my work is victim-centric focus. So um, I'll always focus on towards uh, the, the victims and, and ultimately, hopefully, uh, identifying who these victims are and then removing them from harm. But yeah, it's um, with with the ever evolving technology, as I referred to earlier. It um, it uh, presents us with um, different paths, different obstacles, um, but it always turns that that day into a very complex uh, shift, anyway. And 
like we said, you've been in this industry for, for a long time. How much has technology such as Project Vic and CAID, as it's known in the UK, how, how much has that assisted your work? Yeah, it's 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 uh, assists us immensely. Um, it's it's also contributes towards our own um, uh, database that we're collating, or the Australian Centre is collating, um, referred to as AVID, the Australian Victim Identification Database. So these these databases uh, are essential. Either a uh, identifying the material that's been shared uh, on the World Wide Web. Uh, and additionally, it also minimises the exposure to that material to us as investigators as well. So um, they are instrumental in in um, making, um, well, improving or enhancing our investigative ability also. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And Cade, as it is here in the UK, but when I used to have officers come in to do their victim identification, because when I started, we used to run all of our own grading but as time went on, it was very hard for us sometimes to grade images of victims where we had, we would classify it as a lawful image because some of the, the children involved looked a lot older than what we would. So we ended up getting officers to come up and sit and view content all day purely because they knew their victims. And you could see the toll it takes on them as they sort of left our unit. So like you say... Project Vic and all of those associated projects have just been a huge help for people's welfare. And slightly moving on, and we're talking about the challenges that faces this industry. In your opinion, what are the biggest challenges sort of facing child exploitation world at, at the moment? Well, currently, um, off the top of my head, there's there's two, and I think they're probably synonymous across uh, the globe with law enforcement. Um, but uh, initially, it'll be uh, encryption. So whether that be the encryption thereof data or alternatively end-to-end -end encryption uh, through uh, communication across, across the internet. Um, secondly, it's, it's just the, the volume of data that we're having to um, forensically examine um, and, and just then even dealing with, with that size and scope of data. Um, ultimately, you know, we still need the, um, the storage banks to, to store that data um, so, A, it becomes uh, very expensive, and B, it obviously becomes very uh, problematic for, for investigators to uh, scan all that data to hopefully establish if there are any actual child victims that are yet to be identified. Yeah, and it's a very, very topical subject because I'm aware of certain sort of police organisations are almost taking an approach of relying on identification from the databases that we've been talking about and if they hit a certain criteria they're they're not even reviewing all the rest of the images in a case because they just haven't got the manpower they haven't got the capacity or time and thankfully my old unit where i worked were of the same mindset of, of yourself and that was every image needed reviewing because there's potential victims that are unclassified um is that sort of the same opinion for yourself yeah, absolutely. Our, our resources and, and staff is are a finite uh, number. So yeah, you're absolutely correct. It's 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 always a struggle to try and um, navigate our way through these uh, the, just the size and, and nature and volume of the data that um, we're having to deal with. So yes, it it, it is becoming a, a big problem because uh, the, the crime definitely isn't um, uh, decreasing by any means. Yeah, and it it. It almost feels wrong to sort of criticise a unit who have had to take that approach that 
once they've got their review going through the database, if they've got so many category A, B, however it's graded, that they've got their tolerance level and that person is then charged without reviewing the remainder of the image. It's hard to criticise them when you sort of know what struggles they're going through, sort of with trained staff, with manpower storage. Um, It's sort of quite a big issue here in the UK at the moment. A lot of police forces, there's no real guidance as to how long they have to maintain that data for as well, which, as like a nation, it's going to be in petabytes of storage. That's insane costs. And it... You probably find this as well. You, you go into warrants and people have end up with more storage than most forensic units have got. <laughs> and you, it's true, though, isn't it, Scott? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Yeah, I, I may laugh, but it's it's more so I'm laughing with you because it's it's the absolute truth. You know, you could be walking away with with uh, ten uh, computers. Uh, you know, 50 external storage devices, 3,000 DVDs, you know, they still come in their uh, form of media. And, and, you know, we're even having to deal with the old VHS tapes. There was an investigation only recently in the last week that um, we were having to deal with VHS tapes. So you're absolutely right, just the the, the data. And and it probably highlights that, you know, the reliance that we have on on, uh, our forensic tools to to try and uh, enhance... uh, that process and to make sure that we're not missing any of those victims. So, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, forensic tools are, are really um, we're, we're we're heavily dependent on it. Yeah, and you sort of your opening sort of point was about encryption, and obviously that is in the news daily. That Apple, Samsung, Android, that they want to promote victim or personal privacy to people's data, and Apple they sort of caused a bit of uproar, especially with like Child Coalition, that they were going to start scanning people's photos database. And basically, if it flagged up as known images, then they were going to report to law enforcement. And then suddenly, the the backlash that Apple got for that, which I was quite surprised, meant that they ended up sort of going back on, the, on that promise. If, if you could speak to big technology companies directly, how, how would you say going back on that sort of thing is, is affecting victims? Yeah, it, uh, it definitely raises a, a, a sort of a, an ethical, moralistic um, sort of dilemma, doesn't it? it um, I can appreciate people uh, wanting to protect their privacy. Um, myself, I've concluded that um, Google owns all my personal information already, but... Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I suppose it's it's a global decision that really has to be made sooner than later, because uh, ultimately we can't keep turning a blind eye to to the potential child victims that are getting exploited um, through um, you know technology or the internet generally. Yeah, and if we're using this technology and we rely on it, and we like the fact that Google can classify our images, that if we run an index search on our phone for dog, it will bring back all the dog pictures. The technology's there. It's laying there. Let's use it for good for a change, I'd say. But Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure there's, there's avenues um, to circumvent. Um, well, not sorry, not circumvent, but to also um, adhere or, or listen to, to those who have concerns about the privacy of information. There's, there's technology that can do it. You know, it could be something as simple as just using hash algorithms um, to compare against the actual content. So, 
the content might not be uh, seen or observed by any of these corporations. They can just match them through their hash values. And um, so there are means, but, but once again, it's going to have to be a, a global decision uh, where everybody's prepared to accept um, the solutions that these companies might offer to, to, to sort of um, address that personal uh, privacy. Yeah. Yeah. But let, let's hope that that's something that maybe it was Apple went too early with that. People weren't ready for it. And, the technology's there, so let, let's hope they can use it in time. And Absolutely. Sort of. One thing I want to discuss with you today, Scott, and this podcast is going to be released two weeks prior to this, and that's that Queensland Police are hosting the Youth Technology and Virtual Communities Conference again. And it's the first time this show has been back, back in person for a, for a while. Is, is that right? Yeah, that's correct, uh, Adam. Yeah, it was um, 2018 from memory uh, as Obviously, as a result of the COVID pandemic that hit us uh, in about March to May 2019, we obviously had to put a hold to our our conference. And uh, yeah, so it's 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 once again a great another great opportunity where we can um, now reinvigorate the conference and provide an opportunity for 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 um, you know whether it be NGOs, private sector, law enforcement, to all come together with that common goal of, of trying to make this world a safer place for our children. So, yeah, it's, it's wonderful that um, we're back again. And, um, and late April, it, it'll be great to, to obviously uh, then harness and leverage all, all the capabilities um, and knowledge from everyone that'll be participating. So, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful occasion. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate I'm being able to come over for that conference. And, I think it makes such a difference being face to face with people and I've attended many conferences and the amount even back to my law enforcement days you always take away small parts that are going to benefit your agency and for example we went to one where we first discovered blue bear lace for example with its carving capability and if we hadn't gone to those sort of in person conferences and discussing it with like minded officers from other areas you don't discover them do you yeah you're absolutely right adam i think you know we've sort of had to resolve to these virtual meetings virtual conferences as a result of the pandemic but but yeah you, you definitely don't get all the benefits from actually being there in person and being able to put a face to a name and and, and actually air out our our, uh, our issues or obstacles that we're trying to overcome so you're absolutely right adam it's uh yeah there's nothing better than being in person and and being open with uh whoever you're speaking to yeah well let, let's hope that this year's conference is I have no doubt it's going to be a success. And um, talking about you've you've obviously spoken about your sort of long career path in law enforcement. For people who are co- maybe contemplating law enforcement, a career into sort of this industry that we're into, what advice would you give them for if they were considering it before they've even started, or even if they're at the bottom of the ladder and they've just sort sort of recently joined? Yeah, Adam. Yeah, I, I suppose the first word that would would um, probably be um, part of my advice, and that would be that it's it's rewarding, um, because we're talking about dealing with crime where our victims, generally speaking, don't have a voice. Um, so to be part of a, a team, and and I mean that sincerely, because um, at the end of the day, you know, myself and in. in here in Australia, in Queensland, um, we can't do all this work ourselves. So we're always harnessing our partnerships that we have, whether it be with our, our, 
the private sector or whether our colleagues in, in other international law enforcement agencies. So to me, it's, 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 it's a rewarding um, a career and, and just having that opportunity to, to provide a voice to these, to these victims that can't necessarily speak on their own behalf. Um, but additionally, it is rewarding, but it does still require an air of resiliency. Um, as you mentioned earlier, there are, is a lot of material or a lot of things that we're exposed to. And, and you're absolutely right. Uh, I will never say that I have seen everything because there's always something around the corner that just uh, just shocks me. And um, and you've just uh, taken aback by what, what is presented in front of you. So, yes, I'd say definitely it's a very rewarding career. But in saying that, yeah, resiliency is definitely um, a very important uh, attribute that's required to, to provide you with a sustainable career in this particular crime time. Yeah. And what sort of training pathway do, do you suggest? Because my old police unit used to be a mixture of sort of serving warranted police officers, but we also had a mixture of civilian staff who'd got very academic backgrounds who had got the scripting knowledge and we've sort of found that that was a very good blend sort of it I could learn from them as a as an officer who hadn't had the scripting sort of experience but I could also pass on investigation experience to them so it was a very good blend I don't know if it's the same for your departments in Australia or what sort of yeah I think that it's it's beneficial to have that that uh, sort of foundation, um, somebody that's familiar with obviously uh, computing, um, whether they've got any background in, in any particular coding. Uh, it is always beneficial um, because we're having to use those skills on a daily basis to try and circumvent, um, you know, the bad guys we're trying to catch because, you know, we're talking about they're always five steps ahead of us at the best of times. So we need every advantage with that we can secure and, and, and that includes, you know, having you know, colleagues that do have that foundation or understanding or, or those extra abilities to, to be able to, uh, to, to perform that role of a, a coder um, or a network administrator. Yeah, and it's so important nowadays because I'm speaking here on behalf of a vendor, MSAB, and there's obviously other mobile vendors and other computer vendors. It's impossible for the vendors to stay up on top of the millions of applications that are out there. And for example, our customers, they they need support for, for everything. Unfortunately, there's not enough developers in the world to supply support for everything. So you need to be able to adapt and sort of deal with, we had people who were chatting on, on games to try and circumvent. They knew that as police would be looking into the popular chat applications. So they tried other methods of using chat applications or anything. For example, one of them was using a chess app to have a chat and discuss about sort of trading child abuse imagery. And like you say, that's where coding comes into its own, being able to pass that information out. And this, this community never fails to amaze me. So I've often, and I always promote it, which is a DFIR Discord server. That is a global sort of server that's made up with... Australian law enforcement, US law enforcement, UK law enforcement, as well as the private sector. And everybody within that forum, is they're all there to help each other. Yeah. Anyone who comes across an issue, they come across an app they haven't come to for. People often step in and say, hey, I've dealt with that app. You can find the data in this file path. Or 
just promoting another great resource here, and I'm sure you guys use it as well, is the fantastic work that Alexis Bregoni has done with the Leap sort of um, facility of software that passes a lot of Android, iOS, and all of this was started by Alexis, but it's been built on by the community, yeah. adding additional scripts to it. And I think my biggest advice to anyone in this industry is to reach out and talk to people, join these servers, join t- Twitter, because this, like you, like you said at the opening, this community, we all progress and advance ourselves because of each other. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and um, and, it, and it's a case of we're, we're leveraging um, or, or trying to address uh, our weaknesses that we have in our organisations, and, and and we need to fill those weaknesses somehow. Um, otherwise, we're we're never going to be successful in, in in our investigations. So, and and it's 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 leveraging um, strengths from other agencies, uh, you know, the private sector, um, you know, trying to come together. Um, to combat this um, this this scourge, so to speak, and 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 the only way we're going to do that is 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 through uh, our tools or, or software or our own attributes and skills. Um, yeah, it's it's we're going to be able to achieve it together. Yeah, and as a final question before I let you go and get on with your busy day ahead, I always like to ask them. We've sort of touched on it throughout throughout today's podcast, and that's welfare. Being exposed in this world, yes, it has got extreme rewards, but it's also got some dark places that people can go because viewing this content day in, day out, dealing with some of the the crimes that we have to witness is horrific. And how do you manage to, and how do you sort of advise your team how to switch off from this? And what sort of support has your team offered to try and deal with sort of dealing with this on a daily basis, Scott? Yeah, Adam, we're, we're quite fortunate with our organisation that has a quite robust uh, welfare policy. Uh, and in addition to that, we've got plenty of resources, whether it be internally or externally, um, that are offered to us. Um, so I think from, from an organisational perspective, we have, have a really good backbone to, to, to looking after our staff. And ultimately, we've, we've also got to look out for each other. So, you know, just being mindful of, of the, the, the behaviours or any behavioural change in our staff. So um, we're, we're pretty much uh, doing very well in that aspect. And then just my advice to, to my colleagues or staff, it's I always encourage them to, to take on some external activities beyond our careers because uh, I don't know about you, Adam, but, you know, the majority of, uh, of my friend's circle is, is law enforcement. So... Yeah. I also only encourage to have to ensure that you've got a circle of friends outside of that law enforcement circle or family, um, because yeah, you, you do need to disassociate yourself from the work that you do on a day-to-day basis. Um, so yep, it's it's a case of being able to to be forthright and and honest and having confidence in that whoever you talk to, that that they understand what you're uh, going through. And then also in conjunction of, of maintaining a, a very healthy lifestyle, it's uh, it's crucial because, as you said, yeah, the, some of the content we look at, it, it is quite horrific. Yeah. And this, obviously, I'm not speaking on behalf of every UK sort of police here, but one thing that we used to have is that we used to have to have mandatory counselling. So every six months we would have to pop off and speak to a counsellor for I think it was around an hour session. And you'd go along to the session, you'd discuss, like you just said, 
everything but the job. You discuss what holidays you're having, um, ask about family life. You, you'd you sit there, you'd have a cup of tea as a British thing to do and just discuss anything but work. And you'd leave that hour and thinking, what don't understand the point of this really. And this sort of went on. And then after a while, the, the police force that I worked for stopped it because of monetary financial cutbacks. And it then became a self-referral scheme where you had to refer yourself if you deemed that you needed that sort of counselling. Now, to me, looking back on my time now, and this is going back four years ago, but I look back and I think, well, I probably didn't realise the benefit that that mandatory counselling was given to me. That even though I was there and I didn't feel that I could see the need, and it sort of concerns me now. And I saw an article the other day which I commented on in LinkedIn, which was about the amount of police officers who are off with PTSD. And to me, it's it's cutbacks like that that are adding to those numbers because, to me, a self-referral for counselling surely is, in my opinion, is too late by then. It, if you're having to self-refer, that should have been prevented sort of earlier, really. But I don't... It's, it's that tough game, isn't it, of financials, which every police organisation around the globe is facing, I should imagine. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think you're right there, Adam. Um, yeah, it's um, wh- whether it is, if it does get to that point of a self-referral, is it too late? I don't know. Um, I'm aware of uh, several colleagues who who've have taken their own initiative, they've realised um, that maybe something's not right, maybe they should talk to somebody to it. So, um, yeah, it's 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 really a very difficult um, sort of issue to, to, to manage uh, and, and hopefully mitigate um, PTSD or anything else that might be a, a symptom of, of what we are exposed to as, as law enforcement officers. Yeah, and, and I, I think you're right in about being open, about talking to your colleagues. And yes, law enforcement is a great circle to have because what you see and witness in law enforcement, nobody can understand outside of it. And I think it's good to have that circle, but it's also good to go out and chat about anything. But like my punishment is that I like to weekly go and watch football or as you guys would call it, soccer. <laughs> and I, I go with my dad, we watch it, our team is is not very good but it's time just to spend away from the industry and have 90 minutes to it's a british thing i like to moan about something else so i can moan about how poor my soccer team is <laughs> yeah. and um but, but i think that's that's good though isn't it you've, you've found that that um that release or, or something that does help you sort of take your mind away from it though so i, I think that's fantastic it's a testament no matter how good your footy team is, Adam. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think you're, you're right about sort of identifying when things are starting to get on top of you because I remember before I joined sort of the forensic unit, I remember the sergeant at the time saying, I can't sit here today and say to you, you're going to be okay viewing the material we view in here. He said, it's, it's either going to be a binary, you're either going to be okay or you're not. And thankfully, I was okay. It, it didn't affect me. I could deal with it in a binary fashion. It was right or wrong. It wasn't until I'd had my first child and my child was similar age to one of the cases I was investigating that I think that's the first time it actually affected me. 
and that's when you can relate to something. Um, I knew one of my old colleagues who was a traffic officer and he'd been a traffic officer for years and years and it wasn't until he attended a fatal collision where a child was the same age as his that that's when it truly affected him. And I, I think sometimes, yeah, it's it's a hard area to work in. So I just thank you and the team and all of the, the people worldwide who are investigating this because all of the work you're doing is to make a safer place for, like you say, victims who don't have a voice. And um, there's some amazing charities that have been that have been set up to recognise. We've got some extremely brave people who come forward after being victims of those horrific crimes. And um, hopefully the private sector, government agencies will continue to work sort of towards and, and I hope that one day it will be a, a solved industry. Yes, um, we can only hope, Adam, we can only hope. But no, and, um, with that, Scott, I'll let you get on with your day i'm sure it's a busy day ahead for you and the team and um but thank you once again for being a guest and um we'll hopefully catch up with you soon i look forward to seeing you at the conference very soon absolutely adam we'll look forward to it as well and thank you once again for the opportunity no problem thank you all mm-hmm.